What is up, Salt Company? Yes, I'm back. Better than ever. Can I get an amen? All right. Well, guys, I just need to let you know, first and foremost, that you are my favorite crowd to preach to because no one can beat the Bears. Can I get a go Bears? Yes. Have you guys, have you guys ever given news to somebody that you thought was amazing? So you thought, man, they're totally going to react positively, and you got a very mixed bag of reactions. Some positive, some horrible, and some in the middle. You guys know that I love to tell Kayla and I's origin story of dating a lot, but this is, this is post-dating, okay? So it's official. Daniel and Kayla Nickel are officially dating. Totally outkicked my coverage. Can I get an Amen. Totally outkicked my coverage, and I go in to tell people the news, because I'm like, this is the greatest news that has ever, ever happened to anybody ever. So I go to my buddies, and they get it. They're like, dude, way to go. You got Kayla, Nickel, come on, man. And they're like chest bumping me. It was a little weird, but I was like, all right, that's what I was expecting. Then I go to Kayla's parents and hear how they reacted, and how they reacted was kind of like, uh... They're like, oh, okay, yeah. If this is what you want, Kayla, good. We'll see. We'll see if it works out. I was like, great. That was a resounding uh, not. Uh, then I go to my parents, specifically my dad and my sassy sister. How many of you guys have like a really sassy sister who will just give it to you? Yeah, that's my sister Sarah. And the second I tell her, I'm like, hey, I'm dating Kayla Nickel. She doesn't even know Kayla Nickel, and she goes, yeah, we'll see. And I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, why is everybody not like ecstatic at this? I'm like, I got Kayla Nickel to date me. You should be pumped. Many times people don't respond to news the way that we think they should. But don't we do this all the time? Right? God gives us great news in his word, plain to see, and we react to it with just a total mixed bag. And the way we react to the news of Jesus it could either push us closer to Jesus and lengthen our faith, or it could push us away from Jesus, and actually we could end up missing out on something incredible. Today, in the text that we're going to be reading, great news, literally the greatest news that the world has ever heard is given to three groups of people, and they react in the oddest way you'll ever see. Go to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. I want to set the context. Two weeks ago, Jonah preached right before Thanksgiving. He talked about how Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was a gruesome death. It was a merciless death. It was an unjust death. Literally, people put Jesus on trial and started throwing random accusations at him that weren't true at all. Jesus is scourged. His body is ripped to shreds. Then he's pierced onto the cross, dies this horrible, miserable death. And at this point in the story, All of Jesus' followers are mourning Jesus' death because the hope of the world is gone. Everything that they had built their life up to for over three years following Jesus is all of a sudden done. And we helicopter on this moment where where there's these women who are bringing all these spices to the tomb of Jesus to give him sort of a proper burial And these women, we're not super sure exactly who they were. We know there were three women. There's two Marys and a Joanna, but there's also a ton of other women who are in this story. We just don't know them by name. 
Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, that's the women, came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. So they went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. So literally, while the women were looking for the dead body of Jesus, all of a sudden, boom, out of nowhere, these angels show up in dazzling white clothes, and they are freaking out as you would. Okay, verse five. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Ask the men, the angels. He, you guys ready for the greatest verse in all of the Bible? You ready for it? Salt company, are you ready for it? Yeah. Verse six, verse six. He is not here, but he has risen, amen? amen. Come on now, he has risen. Remember how, how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. I love that line. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He has risen, a.k.a. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. Amen, Salt Company? Amen. Jesus is alive. Imagine going to see your dead friend mourning and weeping your dead friend. And the second that you show up, you see and hear that he's alive. And it wasn't by a medical miracle. It was by a God-ordained victory over death. Imagine that moment. Then the angels tell them, hey, remember Jesus said he was going to live again? Do, do you remember that? And look at what happens. Look at verse eight. And they remembered his words. All of a sudden, their mind kind of goes back to what Jesus had said while he was alive. But Jesus hid the meaning of his words. Why? Jesus hid the meaning of his words so that at the moment of intense grief and drowning in their pain, they would be rescued by the greatest news they could ever hear. Jesus is alive. Have you guys ever forgotten the words of Jesus? but in a moment where you are literally as low as you could possibly go, all of a sudden somebody reminds you of truth that you desperately needed to hear. Verse nine, look at verse nine. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. So all these disciples, all the women just show up and they're like, guys, you won't believe what just happened. Verse 10, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. Guys, the title of my message is this. Three reactions to the resurrection. Three reactions to the resurrection. I know that's a long title. I'm not going to apologize, right? Three reactions to the resurrection. And the first reaction is this. So point number one, expect it. Expect it. The second these women heard the news, they ran to go tell it. You know what that means? These women expected it to happen. They expected it to happen. Guys, as you know, I am a world-class athlete, a.k.a. I'm pretty average, all right? So when I was in high school, I wrestled at Southeast Polk. Go Rams. Um, so I wrestled at Southeast Polk. For the record, we're pretty much the greatest wrestling program in the nation. So yeah, thank you very much. I was not part of that like greatest type of crowd, but I showed up. 
And so this one time, so if you guys know anything about wrestling, right before you step onto the mat, you're doing this like little warm-up thing. You, we all don't really know what we're doing, but we're like shaking out our muscles. And I'm always nervous because I never really know who I'm wrestling. So you're always kind of like looking across to see like who else is warming up. So you can kind of like compare yourself to them, especially if you're insecure like me. So this one time I was about to go wrestle. So I'm warming up. I'm like, who else is warming up? Who else is warming up? And I see this guy, the only guy warming up. And he is like this string bean guy with like emo hair and like still had like these weird shorts on while he was doing his little dance around. You could tell it was like his second time wrestling. And I was like, yeah, I won. (laughs) I won. I expected to win because of what I just saw. I expected to win. There's a difference between being prideful and being expectant. Being prideful is seeing your opponent and being like, (laughs) I'm totally going to win. And then you go out onto the mat and you're just lazy because you're like, this guy's terrible. Pride actually kind of leads to laziness. I actually expected to win, which means I kind of saw the end before it actually was there. I expected a victory. These women were expectant of God, expectant of God. Living in expectation makes us live with the end in view with confidence for now. They reacted in expectation and ran to tell the news. Look at verse 11. How do people respond, right? Greatest news ever, but these words seem like nonsense to the disciples. I'm gonna read that again. But these words seem like nonsense to them and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, I love Peter, got up and ran to the tomb. When he, when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Literally, you guys just saw that, right? The women have this unbelievable experience and they believed it because they expected it to happen and they show up to the disciples to tell them the greatest news ever and the disciples don't even believe them. Literally, it says like this was nonsense to them. Why would they not believe? There's a couple reasons. Number one is because women told him, them the news. Back in early Palestine, in those days in Bible times, literally a woman's word wasn't even legally binding. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah, 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 anyways. That's some cute news that you just told us, women. Anyways, let's get back to our life, right? Unbelievable. But what does Peter do? Verse 12, right at the beginning. Peter, however, got up and did what? Say it. What did he do? He ran to the tomb and stooped in and saw that Jesus wasn't there and he walked away flabbergasted, absolutely amazed. The rest doubted. Peter ran to see if it was true. Why? Because Peter expected it to be true. He wanted it to be true because if it wasn't, the hope of the entire world was dead. The hope of ever being made whole was gone. But no. When Peter looked into the tomb, Jesus was not there. Why? Because Jesus had risen from the grave. And he walked away amazed because his expectation became a reality. His expectation became a reality. Guys, do you live in expectation? believers in this room right now. Do you live in expectation? Did you notice how they haven't even seen Jesus yet? You notice that fact? 
They saw a small evidence of him being alive, and they immediately believed. Believer, do you expect Jesus to give you strength when you're weak? Do you notice how these women are probably at their weakest, lowest moment? They are clinging to anything and everything that'll give them hope. And they had nothing, but they expected something to happen. Believer, do you expect Jesus to be there even if you don't feel him there? If you can expect Jesus to come through on a scientifically impossible miracle, you can expect him to fulfill every promise he's made to you today, amen? Do you live in expectation? Because expectation always has the end in view, victory, so we can run. There are three reactions to the resurrection. The first reaction is expected. The second reaction is in this next section. And we kind of pop in on a story of two disciples and, oh, what do you know? Old Jesus, old JC. Look at verse 13. Now that same day, so these women had already told the disciples all this, and then two random disciples on that exact same day, watch this, on now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and, what's that word? Arguing, they're kind of freaking out at each other. Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. Now, you'd think they would totally recognize him, right? Wrong. Verse 16, but they were prevented from recognizing him. We don't know how this happened. We don't know if Jesus was wearing a fake mustache or what was happening here, but somehow they didn't even know it was Jesus. Look at verse 17. Then Jesus asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you were walking? Jesus is kind of playing dumb. And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked him, playing dumb again. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Look at this, verse 21. But we, we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Jesus pops in as these two disciples are walking along and they're arguing, they're bickering back and forth. They're arguing about Jesus. They're arguing about Jesus. But did you see what they said? Look at verse 21. I want us to, I want us to look at it again. Grab your microscope, look at it. But we were hoping, AKA, that hope is dead. It's in the past, it's not here now. We were hoping that Jesus was the one who was about to redeem Israel. They were hoping that this Jesus would redeem Israel. Now, what did they mean by that? Here's what I believe they meant. They were hoping that Jesus wasn't the Messiah Jesus that is actually biblical. I think they were hoping that this Jesus was the political Jesus to free them from Rome. When they say redeem Israel, they really mean like, give us what we want. And so their hope is lost because their redeemer is dead. That logic kind of makes sense if you follow their brains. They wanted the political Jesus, not the pitiful, 
crucified, weak Jesus that they got. Pick it up in the middle of verse 21. They, they're saying, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us actually went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. You guys hear that? But they didn't see him. You can hear the doubt in that last line. They said all this great news, but guys, they didn't actually like see him. I mean, come on, the tomb was empty. Yeah, great. But nobody saw a body walking around. Look at verse 25. Now the king is gonna respond. Jesus said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have actually spoken. <clears throat> Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus is saying, if you don't believe the women who saw it firsthand, believe the prophets that you've always claimed to believe. Look at verse 26. That's the key, 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 key. That's what I was saying. Sorry, I got tongue twisted. That is the key. Verse 26. Wasn't it necessary? Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to what? Salt Ankeny. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to what? Suffer. Jesus is calling to mind what they've already professed to believe. These men right here would have memorized the entire first five books of the Bible by the time they were probably about six to eight years old. And then, if you were a good student, you would have kept continuing to memorize all the prophets. And one of the prophets talked about Jesus, and his name is Isaiah. Let me show you what one of the prophets said about Jesus. In Isaiah 53, it says this, yet he, that's Jesus, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. That's what was said about Jesus. That's what happened to Jesus. But why was it necessary? Why was it necessary for Jesus to suffer? There was about a hundred reasons I could list off, but number one, and the one thing I want to get through to your head it was necessary for Jesus to suffer so that he could pay for our sins. Our God is a just God, which means he doesn't just look at sin and think, ah, you're fine. No, no, he hates it. He abhors it. He detests it, which means that anybody who has even an inkling of sin in them is not allowed to enter heaven because they would be in the presence of a holy God, which means God requires somebody to pay the penalty for that sin. And if we were the ones who attempted to pay for that sin, 
We would be like Jesus, being absolutely crushed with no life on the back end, though. We would attempt to pay for that sin, and we wouldn't even come close to paying that for that sin. It would absolutely obliterate us. Therefore, it required a perfect sacrifice and a holy sacrifice, Jesus Christ, to pay the penalty for our sins. Why was it necessary for Jesus to suffer? Because he was the only one who could ever pay for our sins. Amen? Imagine being Jesus right now. He just went through a living hell on earth for these two disciples and they're discounting what he did to his face because they wanted him to be a certain type of redeemer. You guys notice that? They wanted to fit Jesus into a box. The second reaction to the resurrection, point number two, was putting Jesus in a little box. I think many of you are, in this room are doing the exact same thing and you don't even know it. You're putting Jesus in your little box, confining him to this little space to be picked up and used at your own convenience. You kind of want, you kinda want the, the problem solver Jesus. You kind of pick up the box of the problem solver Jesus, right? Like, okay, I'm going through this stressful thing right now. God, could you please solve it for me? And the second, it kind of seems like he does. Or if he doesn't, you just throw the box down. Or you kind of want to fit Jesus into the box called the good news only Jesus, right? You pick up this box. I want the good news only Jesus. Whenever I'm going through something stressful or I maybe hear that I'm kind of a rough person, I want this good news only Jesus to kind of take the bad news and sprinkle a little fairy dust all over it so it makes me feel better. Or this is my personal favorite. Many of you guys pick up the box that you try to fit Jesus in called the medication Jesus. The medication Jesus. You're feeling a little bad about yourself. And so you, you take kind of the pill of Jesus, you show up to Salt Company, you show up to church, you listen to some worship music, and then kind of the second you start to feel good about yourself, you're like, okay, good. I'll put this pill, put this box right back on the shelf and I'll grab you when I need you, Jesus. What inevitably happens here is that we try to make God who we want him to be, forcing him into our mental box. So when God fails, we just drop him because he's clearly not what we need him to be. And if you're honest, you just want Jesus to fit your agenda. And your desire for Jesus to fit into your box, you're discounting the tree his body actually fit on. Because Jesus became all you could ever want and need through the vehicle of suffering. Don't wish him to be a certain type because he was the perfect type. Without the suffering Jesus, we would become the hell-bound sinners we truly are and we truly deserve. So, what happens next? Look at verse 30. He's still with those two disciples. It was as Jesus reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. That's our current day communion. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but boom, what do you know? Jesus disappeared from their sight. What is happening? I don't know. Verse 32, they said to each other, ah, weren't our hearts burning within us? Well, he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together who said, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how Jesus was made known to them in the breaking of bread. What in the world? So as Jesus is essentially doing communion, he's breaking the bread, which actually symbolized his own body being broken for them. And in that moment, they see him for who he truly is. And in that moment, he disappears. <laughs> like, what do you do with that? They're like, uh, and he's gone. But did you notice what he said? Verse 32, did you notice they're like, their main, like, oh, darn it moment. Look at verse 32. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? Did you notice what made their hearts burn? Jesus talking about the scriptures. Jesus telling them plainly what he was sent to do and how it affects them now. And it was completely lost on them until their hearts started to burn. Have you guys ever had heartburn before? Am I the only old person in the room? Great. <laughs> heartburn, thank you very much. Heartburn, whenever you have literal heartburn, that means your body is a little unhealthy at the moment, right? And your whole, your whole self is like, <gasps> Okay, all right, I'm back, I'm back, I'm back. No, I'm not, okay. It's just like your body is literally unhealthy. Whenever you feel convicted by the Bible, you're also having some heartburn. Getting burned always hurts, but it always reveals to you that you're stepping too close to the fire of your sinful doubt. When that happens, Jesus is literally reaching through his word to grip your heart. And he's saying to you, he's showing you, I will be put in no box, but I will rise from that grave. I will be put in no box, but I will rise from the grave. And I have risen from the grave. And when Jesus reveals himself, it doesn't just burn their hearts, it blows their mind, right? I'm assuming that they just showed up to all these disciples and they're like, guys, it's true, he's alive. The women aren't crazy, we're crazy, right? They're freaking out, telling all these people this, and then... The third reaction to the resurrection happens. Look at verse 36 in this next section. As they were saying these things mid-sentence, Jesus himself stood in their midst. Boom, bada bing, bada boom. Jesus just appears right there. And he said to them, hey, peace to you. <laughs> like what? Out of nowhere, in the middle of our conversation, Jesus was like materializes right there. And he's like, hey guys, heard you're talking about me. <laughs> and if I'm the disciples, I'm like, freaking out. I'm like, peace to me. I'm literally having a heart attack. What is wrong with you? If I'm the disciples, I'm not just terrified. I'm kind of like hesitating. Like, is this real? What is happening? Am I hallucinating right now? I'm hesitating. There are three reactions to the resurrection. First reaction, expect it. Second reaction, you put Jesus in a box. And the third reaction is you kind of hesitate. What do I mean by hesitating? Have you guys ever, it's kind of popular around Christmas. Have you guys ever seen videos or done this before? The game, what's in the box? Where it's like, the person on this side can't see what's actually being put in the box, but they have to put their hand through the box and touch it and kind of guess, you know what I'm talking about? I watched a video the other day. And it was like this football team that had to guess what's in the box. And this like 300 pound, like 
stacked offensive lineman is literally like shrieking like a little girl as he's putting his hand, he's like barely touching his, ah, ah, and everybody's like, dude, you gotta like touch it and actually guess, he's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and he finally touched it, it was a pineapple, like that was it, it was just a pineapple. It was hilarious, because we kind of see what he's freaking out about, but he's hesitating. Hesitating is when you want to do something, but doubt is kind of holding you back. Just watch the hesitation in the disciples. Verse 37, but they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? Jesus asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Verse 38 says, why do doubts arise in your hearts? Some were seeing the literal Jesus right in front of their eyes, and they were still doubting. Still kind of like, ah, kind of hesitating. Then he says, look at my hands and feet. He's saying, look, look at these. They have literal holes in them. It's okay, you can touch them, it's all right. Don't hesitate. I, I want to do everything possible to make you believe. I want you to know that I'm really here. And then there's even more hesitation. Look at verse 41. But while, while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, all right, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. I have a feeling that some were still so stunned that Jesus was right there, that even when he offered his hands and his feet for them to touch him, they were like, uh, nah. <laughs> so Jesus is like, okay, you're still hesitating. You're still doubting. You're still in disbelief. I get it. You know what? I'm gonna go a step further and eat literal food that you cook for me because if I'm an actual ghost, you guys have probably seen movies that would just pass right through his body right? He's like, okay, I get it. Now watch this. And he eats it just to maybe stop them from hesitating. The resurrection, Salt Company, was not a hoax. Jesus's literal body literally rose from the grave and they have the evidence right in front of them. The literal gospel completed right in front of their eyes and they're still hesitating. I'm amazed. Like when we read this, especially if you're a Christian, you're just like amazed at the hesitation of them, right? But we do this all the time, especially if you're here and you don't know Jesus. My brother John, he was witnessing, he, he was essentially telling a guy who doesn't know Christ about Jesus. And he's, he's one of those guys that just like needs all the facts, right? Need all the facts, need all the logic. And John has like, labored with this guy over and over and over again. He's told them all the facts. They're like at a stopping point where John's like, I, don't, I literally don't know what else to tell you because this guy still won't believe. And so John was like, dude, why aren't you placing your faith in Jesus? At some point, there is a measure of faith. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. And this guy, he was really humble about it. He was like, John, I understand why you're saying that. And I honestly don't know why. Can I tell you what I feel like? 
He was like, I feel like I'm laying in bed and like my alarm is going off right here. And I hear it. I don't really open my eyes. I just kind of press snooze. Then it goes off again. And I press snooze. Knowing that at some point I'm gonna have to wake up and I just don't want to do it yet. That struck me. Hesitating makes you think you have more time. Either you believe when you don't see Jesus yet, or you believe when you do see him face to face and it's too late. I'm going to say that again, because I know without a shadow of a doubt that there are people in this room who've been going to church for so long, who've been surrounded by people who do know Jesus and have proclaimed the gospel to them over and over and over again. And you're just snoozing that alarm. You're hesitating. You're like, maybe there's something better for me. Maybe there's something wrong about this perfect, holy, inerrant word. Maybe I can find it. I just don't know. Either you believe when you don't see Jesus yet or you believe when you do see him face to face and it's too late. Many of you in this room have been hesitating with Jesus your whole life. You have the facts, you've seen the evidence, you've seen and felt his presence. I'm telling you right now, Jesus is reaching out his hand to you, his nail-pierced hand, not to show you he's real, you already know he's real. Jesus is reaching out his hand to you, just like the disciples, because he's begging you to say, I believe now. He's saying, look at the evidence. You know I'm real. You have to truly believe. The whole reason Jesus wanted them to stop hesitating was for what he said next. Look at verse 44. Jesus told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. If there was ever a definition of the gospel, this is it. Verse 46, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Amen? Amen. Jesus opens their minds to understand the whole picture of the gospel. Why it was necessary for Jesus to suffer and rise from the grave was not just to have an epic story to tell later. It was necessary for Jesus to defeat death and defeat sin so that you could have forgiveness of your sins. Look at verse 46. It says, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Why? And repentance for forgiveness of sins. Jesus didn't die just so that he could win the fight over death, but so that he could bring your dead soul to life. Jesus is declaring that by faith in his gospel, you can have a resurrection of your own soul. The deadness 
and the brokenness that we feel on a day-to-day, and you know exactly what I'm talking about, the deadness and the brokenness that you feel and you see on your phone as you're scrolling through and you see all the injustices of the world, the deadness and brokenness that you saw this past week at Thanksgiving when you were around your family and you saw brokenness in relationship, anger from one another that you don't even know how to fix the brokenness of your sin-filled private life that nobody knows except you and you alone and God, that you know that every single moment that you continue in this sin, it is not only breaking and damaging your soul, it is, you know, making you a continuously worse person and more depressed and seeking for hope that you cannot find outside Jesus Christ. This brokenness, this deadness, Jesus looks at, and says, this is what I died for so that I could pay for that. This is what I rose from the grave for so that I could show you a pattern of the fact that you come to me messy and dirty, filled with doubt, but in a moment of true belief, I can wipe all of that free, wipe all of it clean and not just make you clean, give you everything because I risked it all for you. As you walk towards death, Jesus asks you to walk towards life, to believe that the Jesus who conquered death can still conquer your sins, to believe that the Jesus who fought the battle for your soul can still fight the battle for your life, to believe that the Jesus who limped to the cross was the same Jesus who burst from the grave and he offers you something. He offers you, unbeliever in this room, who's been faking it for years, he offers you salvation for you to hear this news for maybe the hundredth time, but for the first time to say, I believe. Today, he could change everything about you, but it starts with you taking that step and seeing his hands and grabbing his hands and saying, I believe. And then for the rest of you, actually, I'm gonna pull an audible. Look at verse 48. Jesus continues. He says, you are witnesses of these things, disciples. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. You notice that? He said, I'm sending you what was actually promised beforehand. He's saying, stay here till you're empowered and then you'll be sent out. He's saying, for those of you who have actually believed, guess what? The Holy Spirit's coming. And for those of you who do know Jesus, you're who I'm talking to right now. If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Amen? Amen. And he has been a comfort and courage to your soul. Did you notice what the women and Peter did? The second they expected the news, they got up and ran and told the news. Got up ran and told the news. That's what Jesus is talking about right there. He's like, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's coming. And when he does come, he's going to empower you to take a risk. What I have noticed in Gen Z, which is you guys, is the opposite of millennials, which is my, my uh, old person generation. Millennials are deliriously confident in themselves and we have paid the price for that. We are, we've you know, definitely done some dumb things, right? But what was happened? Wow, Ty. But what has happened with Gen Z is it swung the pendulum to say, 
okay, I see all the mistakes that my older siblings made. I'm going to err on the side of caution. And what you don't realize is you're being like the disciples and you're continually hesitating. What Jesus just said right there is, have you been saved? Did you expect my power to come within you the second you placed your faith in me? Yes. Did it happen? Yes. That means that I have left you and continuously give you more and more power to not just sit and stay where you are, college students, but to get up, to rise, and go tell everyone about what I have done for you. A resurrected Jesus declares, commands, and empowers his followers to live and breathe and talk about a resurrected life that they have. Salt Company, I am dying for more and more people to know Jesus. Dying for more and more people to not die in their sin, but to actually look at this murdered Jesus who actually rose from the grave and to see his hands and to see his feet and to say, that is what can change my life. Would you, believer, realize that now that you have the Holy Spirit and you have the greatest news on earth, would your reaction be to expect Jesus to do more and more through your one voice? God, I thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you so much for the fact that in this moment, I'm realizing how much I doubt, how much though I can get on a stage and say, I believe, I believe, even in my darkest moments, I still sit back and say, God, can you really... Can you really do that? Have you seen me? Have you seen the things that I've done? There's no way you could actually use me for that. There's no way you could actually accomplish that. But when I take a step in expectation, a step understanding the victory that has already worked ahead of me, when I take a risk for the one who risked it all for me, little by little, your kingdom comes. Little by little, every single nation is hearing and knowing and believing in the name of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for a group of college students in a farm in Iowa, in Ankeny, Iowa. I pray for these college students that they would actually realize that Jesus Christ could use their one life for his glory. I pray that as they've been wondering this whole semester, this tiny risk that they were maybe going to take, but they're hesitating, God, that you would empower them to take that risk. And even if it ends up kind of going back on their face, but that they would actually realize Jesus is going to use that risk. And God, I pray for the people in this room that don't know you. God, could there be a clearer invitation of you reaching out your hand saying, look, I did this for you and I'm not shoving you away. I'm drawing you in. God, I pray that there would be five souls in here tonight who have been saying no to you over and over and over again, maybe for years because of their shame, because of their sin, that tonight they would receive the invitation and just say yes and place their faith in their risen King, Jesus Christ.